0: Well, what an incredible two... We're just entering our third week of working remotely here at Rocket. What an incredible few weeks it's been. It seems like the the whole world has changed somewhat, doesn't it? We weren't actually going to bring back Rocket Fuel for another couple of weeks, but rather flatteringly, we've been asked to by um, a couple of people citing what better time could there possibly be to listen to... um, uh, a podcast, um, particularly one about youth culture or youth marketing. So here I am recording from home with my uh, microphone plugged into my iPad, and I'm going to link back to an unapologetically corona and COVID-19 free interview, one with Beck Smith, who is a ex-professional football or soccer player and she is, she's played around the world, she's played at international level, she's played at uh, club level, she's played in the States, she's an incredible force of nature, an incredible human being and over the last couple of years she's just emerged as head of the women's game at Copper 90 and for those that don't know Copper 90 is probably the leading football community across all social channels in the UK. They make incredible football-related content and Beck Smith has been drafted in to head up their women's game coverage and their women's game offering. Some of the insights she gives are incredible. Some of the journey that Copper 90 have been on relating to the women's game are awesome. So stay tuned. Um, We've got a few interviews recorded to come out this series. I think next week we're gonna do Adam Boiter from the NCS, which is a fascinating more marketing interview. We've also got a few kind of lockdown specials, conversations about how social media and social platforms are reacting To the current situation, I suppose, but cast your minds back to when the world seemed slightly different. As we ask Beck Smith from Copper ninety for her rocket fuel. So Rebecca Smith from Copper ninety. First thing to say is thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Well,
1: thank you very much for having me. No worries.
0: So um, it's Bex, isn't it? That's yeah. what most people call you. So I'll, I'll revert to that or I might chop and change between the two. It. Bex, you've been at Copper 90 just over a year. Why don't you bring to life your journey, your professional journey? And yeah, give us a whistle-stop tour on how you've ended up at Copper 90.
1: Okay, so make sure you have a few minutes for this one because mm-hmm. it's a bit longer than probably the normal one. But my parents are Kiwis. I was born in L.A., um, went to college on the East Coast at Duke. Uh, went back to California for about a year. But during my time in college, I got picked as the New Zealand national team captain in football. And at that time, um, we we went for qualifiers, didn't qualify. About a couple years later, Australia left the Confederation to go to AFC. I was the captain of a national team that basically had a direct qualification into World Cups and Olympics. So I thought, I probably should try to go and play professionally. There was no professional league in the U.S. at the time. So I basically just wrote a bunch of emails, ended up at FFC Frankfurt in Germany, uh, played there for a season, went up to Sweden, played three and a half seasons there, went down to Newcastle Jets for the inaugural W League in Australia, came back to Wolfsburg and played four and a half seasons there where we won the triple Champions League, uh, German League and German Cup and then um, transitioned into a job at FIFA and then I was organizing and running um, the competitions for under-17, under-20, and the Women's World Cup, including the last one that just happened in the summer. So I organized most of that. And then um, basically after four and a half years at FIFA, wanted to continue to push the women's game forward, didn't really know the best way to do that, knew I kind of wanted to stay in Europe, um, and then met Copa90 because I was working with my sister's production company in L.A. called JAMA Productions, where we were trying to sort of tell stories that were great stories, but that you know traditional networks weren't picking up because it hadn't been tried and tested. Um, and so Abby Wombach, who was a friend of mine, we were working on a project with her and Meg Rampino and Alex Morgan and got introduced to Tom Thurwell, the CEO by Abby Wombach, and then came in and did some consulting and just kind of fell in love with the place,
0: to be honest. Really?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that's nice when that happens, isn't it? Yeah, lovely people. So you're in love with the place that you're at now, (laughs) and your role right now... Copper ninety is yeah. is I mean the job title is not quite queen of the women's yeah. game, but <laughs> but it's it's not far off, right? Yeah. And, and your role there is to what ensure the women's game is correctly represented, to create cre- great women's game content, all of those things. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely, it's all of the above and a little bit more. I think um, when I first came in. Uh, the idea was, Tom said, you know, we know we would like to integrate women's football into everything we do. We just don't really know how to do it in a credible way. And Copa 90's always been, you know, at the heart of Copa 90's authenticity. So how do you, you know, transition into including the women's game um, in an area where they traditionally were not authentic? So a lot of it was strategic, coming up with a strong proposition of why we're doing this. Because I think... Um, internally, we were a lot of dudes. There's a lot of lads there. You know, it's it's duty. Um, yeah. And they were very cognizant of that and wanted to open it up and make it more inclusive um, of, you know, not just women and men, but different races and just just a little bit more of an inclusive place because our content is very inclusive. You know, we've done pieces on, like, transgender football yeah. in Mexico and um, pieces in Syria, Stopping Wars. And, and so... I think a lot of it was just strategic. How do we actually do this? And our proposition was quite simple: that we wanted to change the face of fo- football. And what that means is that women's football is football. It is actually part of the landscape of football globally now. You know, more girls and boys are playing. Um, the professional game is actually a really good product, um, but it's the best. It's the best kept secret in in sport, I think. Um, And so it was just about how do we integrate women's football into everything we're doing without siloing it out because it is still part of football. So all of our strategic work we do needs to include women's football, all of our data and research, our audience needs to grow, you know, women's football fans and female fans as well. Um, The content that we're producing needs to include the women's game and the female stories and the athletes. Uh, And then the brands that we're working with that we wanted to not only work with brands that have already invested in women's football, but actually try to transform the landscape of how brands are looking at sport and provide more information about the opportunities in women's football that are already existing, which they just they don't know about.
0: So let's stay with you and let's stay with your career pre-Copy for a second. Yeah. So you've reached the pinnacle. You just want
1: to hear about the Olympic Village, don't you? I want to hear partly (laughs) the
0: Olympic Village. I want to hear partly representing your country. Mm. Um, I want to hear all of those things. Why don't we start with have you a mentor and have you ever mentored anybody?
1: Yeah, I have a lot of mentors. I've been really lucky – My dad is an entrepreneur, uh, well, my parents, I should say, Um, and he has always been someone that has pushed me to expand myself and constantly educate um, myself and also just coming from an entrepreneurial sort of mindset of where the opportunity is and doing things differently and being original, and so he's one. Um, We also have a family friend Her name's Carol Eglash. She's 87 now and she's probably the most amazing person on the planet, and I'm obviously very biased. yeah. Um, but she started in the fashion industry a long time ago in LA, uh, started the first button factory as a woman. Um, then went on to sell that and and be in fashion for for a while and then was a tax accountant and then has since you know in her in her latest phase of her life. Um, after traveling the entire planet, literally there's not one place she hasn't been or can recommend but for that matter. Um, she went, She's written four books, has turned some of those into screenplays, and now is getting into miniseries and TVs at 87. She's supposed to come out next week. So, uh, I mean, you should wow. meet her. She's okay. fabulous.
0: <laughs> I normally ask about how people like to be managed. But what I'm more interested in the case of you mm-hmm. is... I want to talk about the difference almost between you've had the logistical and, and bureaucratic world of FIFA. Yeah, you're, you're right now in the corporate world yeah. of of a commercial organisation. Mm-hmm. I just want to talk about the, the real world. And, you mean, yeah, well, no, quite, quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to talk about the difference between the wor- worlds of being coached and the worlds of mm. being managed. Mm. Can you see the differences when you're being coached to play professional football versus when you're being managed in the? Co- what What are the differences? What are the similarities?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. I think um, I actually thought oh for a while about starting my own business about transitioning. Um, the sports world and, and what you learn from sports into business, which is not a new concept at all. Um, but I think there's a lot of similarities in first of all being coach because I think it's hard as you, when you grow up being coach, you, you always have to be open to criticism and you have to be very self-critical. And I find that's lacking a lot in business. First of all, because a lot of managers are very hands off, or they're too hands on. And I think there's a lack of understanding in management now um, that I see of like really understanding what motivates people mm-hmm. and i think coaches like football coaches i'm talking about understand that traditionally a bit better because you can see you can f- visually see the performance on the pitch and how you your input and your leadership is affecting those players directly you know that 90 minutes is right there in front of your face whereas i think a, man, a lot of managers in business don't see how they affect their employees either because they don't have good communication flows or they're just not very aware of how their leadership skills are affecting their teams. And I also think that in business, they don't understand the impact that they have on their employees or could have. Uh, I think there's a lack of, you know, motivational type leaders Leaders out it's there. It's fascinating
0: you said motivational. So the one thing, I am a football supporter, mm. and the one thing that you broadly hear about football managers is either they're master tacticians and strategists mm-hmm. or they're great man managers. Yeah. I use that term of phrase quite deliberately. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a different skill set be, between a great man manager and a great woman manager? Or do you think the skills are complementary? What motivates women and is is it something different on the pitch than to men?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say broadly, there probably are because there are gender differences, you know, psychology has proven it over the years that there are differences in what traditionally will motivate a woman versus a man. But that is very broad. And that's across, you know, global studies and, and the differences between gender because our brains actually function differently. Um, But when you look at the different types of characters, I think you get a wide, the wide range of characters on a men, men's team or a women's team. I know a lot of some players that I played with loved being talked to and coaxed and told, you know, constant positive feedback and affirmation. And some were just like, F yeah. off, I just kind of want to do my own thing. <laughs> and I think, you know, so I, I think the you have to be very careful in rather than looking at gender and saying, well, women need more emotional support and men need more data, I think we need to look more at people as people and what motivates each individual Yeah, because they're human. <laughs> yeah.
0: And in business now and previously in other roles, are there certain qualities that you look for in the sort of people that you want to work with? Yes. Is there one commonality? Is there one trait? Is it a series of things? What yeah. you, what's the dream team and what makes the dream that
1: team? That is such a good question because I think most people don't ask that question of themselves when they're looking for jobs or people to work with. They don't actually think about that. And working at FIFA actually opened my eyes to the fact that it really matters to me, the type of people that, that I surround myself with. Um, I think there were a lot of interest, like amazing opportunities I had at FIFA and I met some incredible people and we had a great team initially. Um, but the kind of values that a business has, a company has, um, a leadership team at a company has, they have to fit the same values that I have. And you know my values there are, are uh, very human first. So obviously, like we all live in a commercial. Well, not all of us, obviously. I mean, we're hmm. at FIFA, but we all we live in a in a commercial world where you know revenue is is very important. Um, but I think that that can't you can't put that ahead of um, humanity and values. And I think that's where Copa has always been. Sort of a standout in in the type of business that it is because it's so easy to fall towards the type of content that you know is just going to get a lot of clicks and a lot of hits and, you know, brands are going to buy. But we've always told the stories that actually just really need to be told that are quite niche stories where, you know, there's a smaller audience and maybe a less – Less likely to become commercial opportunities, um, and so I, I think the people that I work with they have to really care about the people around them. Okay, Professional And wait, sorry, one oh, no. more thing: communication. Oh, I think okay. has to be a big one. I think like communication lines have to be open both ways. And so if you
0: weren't here, if you didn't have that line of communication yeah. open with your colleagues, with your People above yeah. you, people below you in the workplace, then then it couldn't function Correct. in a positive way. Yeah. I, but I see where you're going. I yeah. agree with that. <laughs> Which yeah. is why you run a podcast, there right? There you go. <laughs> One of the reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether it be as a player, whether it be in, in the workplace, what do you think you're known for?
1: Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Well, I hope people don't think I'm a big asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... It depends on the sort of face that they know me in my life. Um, you know, the footballers that I played with, I would hope they saw me as sort of a leader on the pitch, um, but also someone that, that they could talk to, you know, and, and just be part of a team. Um I've, I was never the best player on the pitch, um, but I think I, you know, genuinely, I was never, like, there were so many more talented players that I played with, but... I love that
0: you say that. Yeah. You were never the best player <laughs> on the pitch. Yeah, well, you know... You hear, you hear people that haven't yeah. won <laughs> as many medals as you and that haven't represented their country say that sort of thing. But anyway, yeah. okay, well, I'll let that one slide. I'll take <laughs> the false mother's okay. Yeah. Well, it,
1: it, it's true. I played with some really, really incredible players, Um but I would hope that m- my teammates or people that have played with me see me as a well-rounded person um, so that I was never the best player, but I was a team player and I tried to lead and, and drive and help motivate and find the motivations for each of my teammates, which were all quite different, um, and lead in a way that was fun.
0: Um, Is athlete you different to you-you? Yeah. Do you think if somebody were to meet you in a, in a pub, in yeah. a it in an out-of-you-being-an-athlete mm-hmm. situation, do you think they would even recognize the, the you on the pitch? Are you yeah. just focused? Do right. you know what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Has... I totally
1: know what you mean. You know, people say that. They're like, oh, she's really nice, like, off the pitch, but when she steps over the white line, she becomes a raging bitch. It's like, is that right? You're like, "Wait, what? How can you actually separate?" No, I'm I'm very much I've always been who I am is who I am is who I am. I think the only difference is I've toned down the competitiveness. <laughs> I think I was when I was playing, I was extremely competitive all the time. Um and that is something that's driven into you as an athlete. If you want to if you want to be the best, you you have to try to be the best. Were you competitive all the
0: time. growing up as well? Was it yeah. there was always an element where yeah. you had to be your sister, you had to Obviously.
1: Fight. Obviously okay. I had to be my sister. Yeah. No, I've I've always been competitive, but I think it really sort of went into overdrive when I landed in um in Frankfurt. I think even at college, I mean I was a captain of my of my team at, at Duke and so sports has always come quite easily to me. I never really wanted even to be a professional footballer. I played a lot of different sports. I wasn't really even like focused on sports I just really enjoyed them but then once I got to Frankfurt I was like holy hell these women are so good they were incredible I was playing with Birgit Prince and Renate Lingor I mean the top players in the world they they went on to win the world cup mm. that year um, and I just really realized that I needed to step my game up and that was when I just put my head down and, and became super competitive about everything.
0: Before we jump into the second section of this podcast, which is all about your work now and the work that that Copper90 are doing, can we just focus on the women's game here in the UK? Mm -hmm. Because it might be since the Women's World Cup that caught the imagination, certainly in my family, I've got a seven-year-old boy that will watch every football match that's and cool. indeed any football match. Yeah. And and through his eyes, my passion has been reawakened. So, oh, that's, cool. so that's super exciting. Mm-hmm. So we watched an awful lot of it. But to me, the halo effect into this season's um, women's league game here yeah. in the UK seems to have been beneficial, quite seismic. And it seems like the quality of the product, that, you, that as you were alluding to earlier, has... It it seems to be like they've gone a level up. Is that an yeah. m- my imagination, or would you no, say I not I can at all. see
1: that? I think that that's why you know people hammer on about investment into sport is because the more money that's in it, the more chance that players have to be professional and and do it from a younger age and focus more on it and be and that what that does is it makes the product better, It makes you better. You know, better players come out of more training and more focused training for over a longer period of time. It's a very obvious. But I think that where the sport is now, the quality is so good. It, I mean, not not all tw- uh, twenty four teams at the World Cup are the, they're not the top twenty four teams in the world, and that's because of the, you know, the the number of slots that each confederation gets. But it's still, you know, once you get past the group phase, they're they're really good games, and the the semifinals and finals are top quality football. Period, mm. and that was why I kind of went into media and storytelling anyway because I just felt that. We were trying to invest in the game. We're trying to get the leagues, you know, to invest more. We're trying to get brands interested. We're trying to get more visibility to the players. But actually where the where the sport needed to grow the most was the marketing and the media side because I just felt like that was the one thing that was lacking, that was dragging. The sport had developed. The players are awesome. I mean, the story, I would say that the best stories in football right now are on the women's side. Um But that it wasn't getting the visibility and in the right way. It was always like, oh, the poor women and they struggle. And I mean, I don't really want to hear that story anymore. I just want to see Alex Morgan kicking ass on the pitch or, you know, Lucy Braun scoring a crazy goal from however many yards out against Norway for the second time in a row in in the World Cup, you know. So yeah, I think that the sport has come a long way in the last five, ten years. I didn't watch it ten years ago, but I do now. I okay, really think it's an
0: amazing, it's an amazing sport. I to think watch. the UK particularly has a really interesting relationship with the women's game because. I think, the mis- a huge sweeping statement now, yeah. but I think the misogyny has almost gone. Yeah. And I think now it's been judged on its own merits. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And at the same time, the game is now so good <laughs> and it's it's kind of a different kind of football. I'd mm. I'd compare the differences in not inferior and superior, but like when you watch different leagues. Yep. So the Italian game is different to watch. Right. So the women's game is different to watch. Right. It's no, no it's a different group of people yeah, playing it. Ab- so, Absolutely.
1: So yeah. Our sorry go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was gonna say our whole proposition is that we wanted to change the face of football because we didn't see it was a fair reflection. But the ultimate aim is that women's football is football. It is part of the landscape. And after the Women's World Cup, as you say, because the quality is actually there, it's just a new reason to love football. So just as you might have been a Premier League fan and all of a sudden you learn start learning about MLS and, well, those are new players, and it's the same. Women's football, you know, globally is kind of at that level now. Um, so I totally agree.
0: So I'm still here with Bex Smith, um, and we are talking, we've had a great chat, women's football. I think we've got to know Bex rather well. I want to talk about Copper 90 next and the work that you're doing for them. Before we really kind of lift up the bonnet, um, how would you describe Copper 90 to the uninitiated?
1: (laughs) I would describe it as an iceberg because what you see is just the tip of it. And actually what we are as a company is so much deeper and, and cooler, to be honest, um, and more of a business than I thought it was initially. Right. So we do we're digital. We're only on social platforms. So we're digital purely. Um, and we're a football culture more than anything. So we tell stories that need to be told. But we also work with some of the top brands. So we do a lot of strategy. So what you'll see on one side is editorials. You'll see really cool things like Darby Days and the Super Classico and some of the storytelling. I mean, we just did a Facebook series called The Other Half, uh, hosted by Casper Lee, um, where we did eight episodes on on women's football, total topics that no one is really talks about, like women's referees or the relationship with media, or we did one on the Afghanistan women's piece. Um, so there's a lot of really cool just stories that we do. But we also have an incredible strategy team um, who I love working with because it's That's what's been always lacking, I think, in women's football, but also in women's sports is a lack of sort of a business understanding of the sport. And so we do a lot of data and research around what are the audiences, where do they sit, what is the potential uh, for brands or for federations or for tournaments, actually, um, to gain those different types of audiences. Uh, we, We have, obviously, a data and insights team. Um, and, and working with some of the brands. So we we have we come across, yeah, the so, whole agency.
0: So business models in the football space, I mean, look, I get things are changing all the time. Yeah. When when I was growing up, and also I've got a seven-year-old boy that's football crazy. So <laughs> Match of the Day magazine, I get how they make money. Yeah. They sell ads in the magazine. Shoot yeah. Match, when I was growing up, a similar thing. Then I suppose as the models change and advance, mm. you're looking at... Brands like the Football Ramble, who have the most incredible football podcast. But Copper 90 is different again, isn't it? Because it's got content that brands can badge Mm -hmm. and sponsor. It's got content strands that brands can initiate and get within. Mm -hmm. So integrate and origination. Mm -hmm. But there's also kind of a research and a trend side where brands can... Can basically say, how do I better understand football culture? Yeah. How do I better understand? Is that kind of it? Is that how it makes money?
1: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay. That is how it is. I mean, we have the modern fan report, which um, we're doing the third edition this year with EA, um, looking at you know what is the modern, what is now the new evolution of the modern fan, which I find fascinating because mm. the more you understand what people want. The more you can tailor everything
0: towards, anything. so <laughs> it just makes sense. EA will work with you on commissioning the report, and mm. on the back of that, they will get some PR opportunities because they better understood fans. Correct. But they will also get some genuine insights as to how better to engage football audiences. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And
1: also, like similarly, we worked with Man City, the club, yep. um, to help sort of launch their women's team and how did they do that? Do they put them on the same platform? Is it a different platform? What kind of audiences are we looking to get? What kind of tone? Um, and I think that some of the work that we did there is fascinating. So really asking – and that's global. So we ask Man City fans in China or, or you know anywhere around the world what they, what they um, associate – you know why are they passionate about Man City, uh, and I think the insights that we provided to the club really helps them not just create different types of content, but do other things like events that where we say, well, Steph Houghton and and well, at the time was company can do things together, and actually your fans are totally cool with that. Whereas maybe with the the other city up, the other team that's up in the same city, it might not be the same because it's not as you know an authentic connection between the men's and women's teams, and that oh, no. comes from insight. Yeah and i find that that was really that was a super interesting um project as well
0: so Forgive me, we're used to, particularly in the UK, it's seemingly most Premier ex-Premier League players end up getting a job somewhere around the world on yeah. TV. I, on remember, TV yeah. <laughs> I remember holidaying in Mauritius a few years ago mm-hmm. and knowing that most Premier League uh, players got a job when I saw Effinokuku <laughs> on, the, on the coverage over there. Yeah. What we're not used to seeing is um, ex-players yeah. that have a, knowledgeable, a knowledge of, of business model trends, data, and insights, yeah. trying to pay you a compliment here, Vax. <laughs> <back. laughs>
1: okay, good. Thank so you. I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> is this,
0: Is this? are you different in that you've always had an understanding or a, at least a desire to understand the business of the game?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, absolutely. I think because my dad was an entrepreneur, I was always more interested in business. Like I said, I never really wanted to be a professional football footballer wasn't an aspiration that I had as a kid. I loved sports and I wanted to play, but I really wanted to start my own business and get into the business side of things. And and that was when I got into women's football. That was the biggest barrier that I saw that there was just such a lack of of business knowledge and an understanding, and some of the decision makers were not business people, and some of the decisions they made didn't make business sense, um, and that that hinders the game. That that means there's a lack of growth, um, and the lack with that then means is there's a lack of opportunity for young girls to play globally. So, absolutely, I have a very big. Interest in that—that's why when I was playing in Wolfsburg, I did my MBA, um, and then I did a postgrad in psychology as well because I wanted to better understand the sport so that I could better sort of help it grow.
0: And that also probably explains why your why the Copper 90 brand works for you because mm. from a, only from a consumer's perspective, I've not seen yeah. <laughs> the pitch, although I can guess yeah. it's a, it's about an understanding of football brains as much as anything else. Absolutely. I mean, the Derby Days series is as much about the personality in the stands in yeah. fact far beyond anybody on the pitch
1: Absolutely, you say? absolutely I think Copa 90 has always been a fan centric so we've never had rights so the cameras Gav our creative director always says we took the camera and we turned it 90 degrees and started telling the stories of the fans so no absolutely I think um, that's why I'm mo- most interested in doing it and I think Also, what's really interesting working at COPA is we can work with the full ecosystem of football. And I think that that's what's also lacking is that if you're a brand, you're only looking at it from a brand perspective. If you're a federation, you're only looking at it from a federation perspective or a rights holder. Um, And I think that actually where the women's game needs now is all those stakeholders to come together and actually work together to find the best solutions and how to grow the game. For example, we were talking with a brand recently who bought a package uh, for the WSL and and then realized actually it was a copy-paste case from the men's and it, it just doesn't work. You can it didn't it didn't where well, there's no functionality to right. that whereas, you know, I think working with a federation to build a package that makes more sense for a specific brand and and that takes more time because it's kind of green space in the women's game. No one's ever been there, no one's ever done it. It's a different game. There're different types of stadiums, there're different types of players also. I mean, the players are a lot of them have worked, or they've studied, and they're just a lot more sort of multifaceted and fully understand that they're they're marketers for their clubs. I mean, yeah. if you go to the most of the players before their games, they're all publishing stuff about their games and saying, "Come buy tickets," and they're marketing assets. And I don't see a lot of you know men's players who are making gazillions having to do stuff like that, and that's that's fine. But it's there's just different opportunities in the game.
0: It's a really good point. Um, Copper ninety. What would you say defines the brands? Do you, de, the brand? Do you think it's stuff that Copper ninety does or or stuff that Copper ninety doesn't do? I'll tell you what I mean. I bet somebody wants, and you may or may not know, has been to the Copper ninety offices and says, "You got to do a Copper ninety festival on Clapham Common, yeah. and you can get some guitar bands and yeah. people doing football trip." But that never happened. Idea. Well, <laughs> I'm stealing <laughs> but, it. <laughs> but but why? are there things that yeah. copper 90 hasn't done we're yet to hear the copper 90 I know mm-hmm. there's a podcast but yeah. there's not a strand on talk sport there's do you know what I mean yeah what what, what won't copper 90 do Ooh,
1: <laughs> that's a really good question I think that we have very strong values and very strong business objectives and they are very tightly linked to um, a celebratory um, unification um inclusive type um, content and sort of partners that we work with. So I think what we wouldn't do is ever promote things that are against our values. Um, But things like a festival that could potentially bring in new audiences into the women's game, for example, is a a great idea. So over the World Cup, we had a clubhouse, in one Mm. in Paris, one in Lyon. And we had events. So we did a music event. We had Ms. Banks in there. Yep. Uh, we had an awesome DJ named um, Crystal Rocks. She runs Super Fox. She's an incredible DJ who kind of ha- runs her own business and trying to help other female DJs and females in the music industry. Um, so there's like a story behind that. Uh, we had a fashion show. We had Kelly Nascimento, who's Pele's daughter, come and explain, you know, do a launch of her film and a Q&A with her. So we had a lot of different types of events because we wanted to bring in different types of audiences. I don't really really care why you like women's football. I just want you to feel like it's a space where No matter who you are, you can come and hang out. And it doesn't mean that you have to watch 90 minutes of a game. I don't watch 90. I didn't watch every single game of the World Cup. But I really love listening to Miss Banks or Crystal. I loved hanging out with Crystal Rocks and listening Mm. to her her jams. And she was in love with the women's game and just hearing people's passion, you know. Um, Or some people may just really like the jerseys, you know. So I I think it doesn't matter why you want to get involved and hang out and be a part of, like, our game. Um, We want to be inclusive to them.
0: There will be some. Right now, there will be some. We've seen it through greenwashing, through yeah. pinkwashing, through, yeah. and there will be another cynical ploy soon, whereby in the same way people used to badge football rights mm-hmm. or have an ex Premier League player in their TV ad, we I bet we're not far off people reappropriating the women's game in a cack handed way. Mm. Do you think that matters? Do you think that's inevitable that we're going to start seeing brands jumping on this bandwagon thing?
1: I hope that brands jump on the bandwagon. Because (laughs) (laughs) Because we need investment. We need more money in the sport, and that will just increase the quality. I think what is more important is how brands are doing it um, because you can also set – the game back by having the wrong tone of voice or um, by being patronizing uh, to the players who are just freaking amazing. Um, so I think I think it's great that there's more interest, and I would open with you know with two arms anyone that wants to come into the space. But I I do think that the decision making bodies or the people that are making decisions on how they want to invest and what they want to invest in, and what they're actually doing with that investment in the women's game. That needs to be a diverse group that needs to have an, a really good understanding of the women's game. And that that's where we see a lack of. So there, we've talked to many brands who don't really, they've invested in it and don't really know what they're doing. Um, visa is not not one of those they do know what they're doing but we we sit next to visa we're a strategic partner of theirs so we're we literally just actually put it all in into formal um, contracts very recently but we've been working with them for a year now to help them really really understand what they're really trying to do and and that takes a lot more time to sit down with a brand and go look you've always been credible in this space you've always supported athletes you have team visa all over the world for the olympics and and so now you're going into the women's space. We know that you, you want to do it with passion. You want to do it with credibility. But how do we really nut down to what are your objectives as a brand? And, and they were very clear. They're like, we actually, we genuinely want to grow the game. We want to shift the game. We want to change the game. And that's a very different proposition as a brand because they're the world's safest brand as well. So how do you do that without, you know. Mm. So I think that was really interesting because now we can do things like a post-career transition program which we might not have come out of anything had we not really known. If they really want to change the game, okay, here's a problem with women's footballers. They don't make enough money playing to retire on that forever and ever. They have to think about their
0: post-careers. So that's amazing. So we're not, weirdly, it's amazing, because not not least because you preempted my next question, which was give me a practical example of where yeah. the women's game, and particularly Copa 90 with the women's game, have helped to brand with a communications or indeed a business problem. And this Visa one looks like exactly that. Oh, my gosh. So here, as a result of the Mm. consultancy with Copper90, Mm -hmm. you've come up with this transition from a playing career program. Yeah. And that will take the form of workshops, content, all of the above that Visa can own, but they can help with that transition.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been really cool working with them. Like, to be really honest, like... I mean, and that's not a plug for Visa. I, as a player, as an ex-player, I wish that brands really gave a shit like that when yeah. I was playing. Um, and so, we, when you meet like the CMO Adrian, and he, and he talks to you about how he genuinely, you know, wants to see his girls have the same opportunity. And that's where Tom. That's why I came into Copa too, because Tom, our Tom Thorwell, our CEO was like, look, my daughter wants to get into it. And she's like, girls don't play. And he's like, what do you mean? She said, well, they're not on TV. And so rather than get mad, he actually looked at himself and went, you know, Mm. I actually have a role to play here. And I think when you get two people that are that passionate about something and have the same objectives, that is a genuine objective to drive the game forward. It's really fun working with them. That doesn't mean that it's not hard work. you know? They have a lot of different agencies and they're, they're massive. Um, but it's been genuinely very rewarding working with them.
0: And there are other examples where you feel like Copper 90 and you particularly have made a difference because brands have, have pushed a Copper 90 button and they're not quite sure what that button's going to do for them, yeah. but they know it's going to help. Is yeah. that broadly?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a few that we're working with that are still that still haven't come out and there's still a few contracts that I think need to be signed for, for different sure. Um, yeah, they're going to be sponsoring different, well, quite large thing, and that's that's what's actually been really cool is that as we've been presenting opportunities to brands, they've been very open to come on board and listen to that. So uh, we're working with Budweiser. We've been working with Budweiser for a while now, and there's you know now we're looking to to push them and say, well, you have a sponsorship in the U.S. and you sponsored NWSL, um, you have a sponsorship for for football in in Europe. But what are you actually doing to drive, you know, global f- women's football uh, and combine the U.S. entities and the properties you have there with a global, a more global strategy? And they're kind of like, yeah, what are we doing? Like, you know, and so I, and I think that brands are very—they're much more open to being critical of themselves because they're—they're they're realizing that there's been an unconscious bias for so long that. You know, we just do the men's game because that's the only opportunity that's there. And it's a lot about just educating about the opportunity. And so Budweiser is one of them. Um, We're also working with a sports, sports, we work with a few different sports brands. But um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and there's so much more to come.
0: (laughs) Hmm. So brands are coming to you. Give us an example of the scale, particularly over the summer during the Women's World Cup.
1: Yeah, that was something that really sort of locked me into COPA as well because we invested quite a lot over the summer. Um we went to France. We had a we actually created our own strategy and proposition about six months out of the tournament, um, and then delivered it and that was included, you know, fifty days out we had an event here in, in Shoreditch in London, uh, where we were telling the stories about the fifty players that you had to watch during the World Cup. You know, 10 were legends, uh, 30 were the trailblazers, and then 10 were sort of the up-and-coming players because we wanted to tell stories during the World Cup, but you can't tell stories about characters that nobody knows. So we started 50 days out, and then at the World Cup we... um, we had two clubhouses, like I mentioned, in Paris and Lyon. We had a lot of activations. Um, we had our exhibition down there. We supported other um, grassroots community um, sort of organizations and people that were doing cool stuff in the women's game so they could come, like Goal Click was there with their exhibition. So we were supporting, you know, other people that were already doing great stuff in the women's game. And then on our platforms, we became, the, we were the number one publisher over the World Cup, uh, non-rights holder, obviously. But we didn't set out to... Published the most amount of content, but because we had a clear strategy and we invested a lot during mm-hmm. the World Cup, um, we ended up doing that. And we also um, did some data before and after, and we found that we shifted uh, brand awareness by uh, 100%. So we doubled our brand awareness during the World Cup. Wow. We also doubled um, uh, brand affinity, but also we changed behavior of consumers. So uh, we asked them before and post-Women's World Cup, will you watch women, do you watch women's football and would you recommend it to friends? And um, that also doubled during the World Cup in the US and the UK. Um, so that was also really interesting. So using that data to sort of create more awareness. And we also launched a podcast on women's football.
0: Nice. Okay. And the metrics for success, you've done the research kind of pre and post in, in yeah. terms of awareness. But I'm guessing from a commercial perspective, you can do that for brand partners too.
1: Exactly. And that's the point is, that that we did it ourselves. We took an opportunity, and we can show the numbers and the statistics. And I think that's that's where brands really buy into because it's not just the, yeah, you know, women's game, really cool. It's awesome. It's a great game. There's a lot of opportunity. Well, they want to see some metrics behind that as well. So we had to create our own business case during the World Cup, which was a massive investment, but um, we think it will pay off, or it already has paid off. So.
0: So I'm still here with Beck Smith from Copper 90. <laughs> And the last section of our chat is around your rocket fuel, some actionable insights for the benefit of those listening to better understand and better engage with youth audiences. Mm. First question, Bex, what do you know about young audiences?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, We actually know a lot more um, around youth audiences uh, because of the Modern Fam Report. So... Um, our third one is about to come out, uh, I think, in a couple months. The last one that we did a year ago was 50% women's football as well. So we interviewed um, sort of the top tastemakers in, in the women's game. And what we're seeing is it's nothing massively mind-blowing, but youth is actually consuming content in a completely different way um, than, you know, maybe my generation or my parents' generation did. They're a lot more on, obviously, digital platforms um, I was just in Davos recently, or the last two days, um, and some of the biggest conversations around there were that, you know, linear linear TV is actually dying. Um, it's going much more into di- the digital space. It's things that we kind of already know or feel, yeah. but there's actually now a lot more data um, in it and, and sort of, okay, so now what are we doing to, you know, regulate that and everything? But um, I think that there's a lot more dark spaces as well. So a lot of younger fans are in WhatsApp groups, you know, or on, on Twitter. Twitter, where it's you know hit or miss if it's going to be positive or negative sentiment, um, people are sort of retreating more into into dark spaces where they can have WhatsApp groups. So during games, they can be chatting with each other, and um, I think there's a lot of cultural crossovers as well in in youth. So we see a lot more um, music coming into football or football going into music and vice versa. And I think that's where um, th- there's a lot more crossover because it, it just happens more naturally on social platforms.
0: What do you think is important to young audiences?
1: I think authenticity is becoming more and more important for youth uh, now. Uh, When we live in a world of fake news and, you know, I met with Time recently and, Mm. you know, I think they really struggle with journalism, real journalism, and, and funding that because youth can go to any platform for news or for information. But I think what we're seeing is that, There's a lot more fake information out there and people don't know who to trust. Um,
0: Do you think you've ever been a victim of fake news? I know I have.
1: All the time. All the time. I mean, Trump is the president. of. (laughs) So,
0: so, I mean, Trump, there was an article when during the, I think it was the presidential election campaign, the Mm -hmm. last one, where Trump, the the article went something like, I'd only ever be... um, uh, leader of the Republican Party because that party are a lot more stupid than the Democrats, yeah. and and it was completely made up and fabricated. Yeah. But that was the one that I believe. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I should have done my my. Yes, homework. you.
1: Yes, well, he he does that. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to talk about. Um, no, there was a really interesting um report. It was a trust. So I can't remember the name of it. I was trying to find it, but the trust report. Uh, I'll try to find the name of mm. it. And let you guys know, but um, we're showing that there's more and more distrust in in media. now. Mm. And so I think as there's more and more distrust in media and bigger media and and platforms like, you know, Facebook, you just don't know, then they retreat more to those platforms that they they know they can trust, which is, you know, the credibility, the authenticity. And also in marketing, I think that, you know, brands got away a lot easier in the past Mm. by putting out something that wasn't authentic, wasn't credible. And now young people read right through that and they'll, you know, they'll call it out. They don't care. I also think the the younger generations are more and more interested in sustainability, in, um, you know, zero carbon footprint. I think they're becoming more green. They're becoming more aware of, you know, climate change. They're becoming more aware of gender equality. I think there's more social causes that the youth, that the younger generation is getting more interested in. And, and that's where they demand that brands are kind of helping to shape that universe and the new world that we all want to live in as as um, for our future.
0: Um, what do you think has changed and what do you think will change next about the way youth audiences behave, whether that be the media consumption or, mm. or real world behaviors?
1: Yeah. I mean, depends on where you draw the line at youth, but I think linear TV is dying. Um, I think the on-demand platforms, OTT, is where uh, most people are consuming. So, you know, and Netflix launching an entire series in, in one lump. Um, what that's actually led to is behavioral change. So whereas I grew up where knowing that Friends was going to be on every Thursday night at 8 p.m. on whatever channel it was, and then it became a social thing that you'd go and you watch with your friends' friends, um, it's now people are watching a lot more TV uh, or series by themselves. Um, and then also what it means is that they don't finish those series as often either. So mm-hmm. I, when they come out as a lump sum, you may watch three or four and then you get bored or you forget or, you you know, you turn on Netflix or whatever your platform is and you're like, oh, there's another one. You get distracted a lot more. Um, so I think that's changing. I think it's becoming less social to watch TV. It's not together. We also found in our modern Fam report that most of the Champions League final audiences watched it by themselves and i mean so wow. all yeah really fascinating that is st- so isn't most it?
0: younger audiences watch the champions league final on their yeah, own themselves. isn't That's that fascinating
1: incredible. i wish i knew the stat i mean um, our guys yeah. do but I found that fascinating because, you know, if you're a brand, like a, a beer brand or a chips brand, you, you know, you can't do those ads anymore. Exact, where you're like, well, i sitting around the couch and
0: drinking beer. And do- <laughs> right? I had a Champions I'm a, nominally, I'm a Tottenham Hotspur yeah. fan, so it so wasn't was the dad. most rocking party. But <laughs> we had a tapas party to try and go. recreate the atmosphere of Madrid. Yeah. Um, the atmosphere lasted all of about three minutes when Liverpool scored <laughs> the opening goal. But there you go. But yeah, I, yeah. The, the concept of watching a football mm. match on, on one zone. I, yeah. I've- yeah, that's it's
1: incredible. and it, it kind of makes sense too because yeah, I think there's more there's more gaming now. Mm. I mean, pe- kids don't go out. I came home and I would get on my bike or I'd mm. go and ride my you know ride my bike or I'd play soccer or I'd climb a tree literally. Mm. And now kids come home and they they get on they put on their headphones and they get into the gaming world and that's how they connect socially yeah. as well globally. So there's you know there are benefits. They can learn different languages. They connect with people from different countries and and clearly that's a massive market. But um, I think the online is where kids are socializing more sorry youth I shouldn't say kids um is socializing more and that's it's a little bit scary to be honest because what kind of social skills are they going to have you know in human to human interaction sure. um but I think there's a lot of opportunity and it's all digital now I was talking to someone and um that was from Viacom and and she was saying that actually yeah it's 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 really hard now in, in linear tv
0: which brands or organisations get it right when trying to talk to youth audiences and which brands get it wrong? Um, I'm not asking you to name names. No, just I was going to say,
1: yeah, you could you could go two ways about it. You could list a bunch of brands, but I think more importantly is the process of mm. trying to connect to youth. And if you're not including youth in the conversation of trying to understand them first – before you're trying to connect to them, um, then it's obviously never going to happen. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier about decision makers need to be the right decision makers, the right kinds of decision makers and more diversity in decision making bodies. Um, and I guess if you want to connect to youth, then you have to have more connection to youth, literally, you know. Like in our Modern Fam report, we we have – or in some of our data, actually, in some of our research projects, we actually go and do groups and we, and we talk to them. We hang out with kids and, you know, it sounds weird, but hang out with them um, and follow them through their daily lives because if you really want to connect – And also having youth in your offices. I mean, when I first got to Copa, I was like, how the hell do you put out the kind of content you do and do all this incredible stuff when, like, most of our offices between, I don't know, 18 and— 27? Mm. I mean, they're young. Mm. And you have to, and you have to open up those opportunities to, to youth to be able to be involved in the conversation. Otherwise, you're you're obsolete. You're a dinosaur. Yeah.
0: No, you're talking to the man with the exception of RFD, who's by far and away the oldest in my office. So, yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. a
1: seven-year-old, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, thanks. Final question one takeaway for everybody listening what's the one thing you'd like the listeners of rocket fuel to walk away remembering about you remembering about copper 90 remembering about the work that you do
1: Ooh, i'd say that i'd want you guys to know that we are trying to really change the game i think there's a lot of talkers in women's football And um, we're generally, we are genuinely walking the walk. We're putting the investment where it needs to go. Um, We're trying to work with the whole ecosystem of the sport to grow the sport for the right reasons. Um, So there is an authenticity, there's a credibility there, but there's a genuine desire to grow women's football. Um, And I think we also have a lot of intelligence uh, in, our, in our company, and I think that's really important, to be working with really smart people that are strategic. Right. Um, yeah, it was a long-winded answer to that your question.
0: That was <laughs> if people wanted to find out more about you, if yeah. indeed you want them to, or if people want to find out more about Copa90, yeah. where can they go? Uh,
1: well, Copa90, we have our website, so oh. Copa90 website. Um, we're on all the platforms. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat, uh, Instagram. Are you on We are on TikTok. Are, and, yeah. well, we are going to be more and more on TikTok. Um, I think we are on the at football, actually. Um, so that, yeah, come back to me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's where we are at Copa. Um, definitely check out our Facebook series, The Other Half. That's the women's football one. Um, there's been some really cool pieces on, on Twitter recently as well around the women's game. Um, and me personally, I mean, you can find me on my social platforms or LinkedIn, wherever
0: great Bex thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel I really appreciate it
1: thank you so much James good luck to Rocket Fuel
0: (laughs) I told you you'd find Bex Smith amazing I did really gelled thought that she was awesome company and really good to talk to if you think that this podcast would be a wonderful gift for someone can I ask a favour of you will you forward it to them Or at the very least, will you give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts? Or just give us a five-star rating and um, we'll see you next week for another edition of Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.